0: All right, guys, let's continue on with our study in Genesis dealing with the fifth day. But for a very quick review, we know that on the first day of creation, starting in Genesis one, chapter three, the first day of the Adamite creation. We had the Shekinah glory of God shining over the world. That is the light that we see. And then on the second day, we have the separation of the waters. Remember, the whole world was covered in water and that was basically a separation of the waters above to the waters beneath and the third day we had the dry land appearing and the separation of the waters into one solid mass of water body of water and the dry land and then on the fourth day we had the heavenly bodies and the creation of the vegetation and that basically covers the first four days now, let us begin with the fifth day, and we start in verse number 20. Then God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning a fifth day. So basically what we see on the fifth day is as God had created those two expanses of water. Remember the waters in the heavens and also the waters on the ground we see God filled those two expanses. He filled the waters clearly above with the birds and the waters below with the fish. And basically that's what we see. So when we look at verse number 20, it says, let the waters teem with swarms. And actually it uses the same root Hebrew uh, words for swarm. It actually says, let the waters swarm with swarms. And basically we see that there was all kinds of fish that the Lord had made to occupy the waters, the oceans and the great deep. And then he also dealt with the issue of letting the birds or filling the sky with all manner of birds. And again, we see that word men, which literally means after their own kind. And okay, after their own kind, the simplest, the simplest way to understand it is a base, class of species from which a variety can come from. Okay, so a base class of species from which a variety of other animals related in that base species should come from. And that's what we have from all of the fish of the sea and all of the birds of the air. Verse number 21 is also interesting to see that uh, even though we have such uh, wonders in the sea God did note the great sea monsters or in other words uh, the great animals in the sea the uh, and and guys I'm not well versed in this stuff but the whole point is all of the great whales and all of the great fish but it just simply says the tanin that's the actual word that it uses and we use for sometimes that word is translated as dragons or sea monsters or something to that effect but the whole point is it does make a notation that in the great swarms of the sea there are huge animals within the sea that god has created and and just for a personal inside no guys sometimes it does amaze me uh, just to know that we have not even really began to discover all of the different species of animals that we have in the sea and we are sometimes confounded and amazed by the different types of great large animals in the sea and and, and it's such a remarkable thing to see how sometimes they can be some great huge sea creatures like say for instance the giant jellyfish off the coast of Japan and how it seemed the, the, the lack of complexity, cellular complexity in these animals that it actually exists. But they are so huge and great. And then and we don't even want to talk about the whales or we don't want to talk about the giant octopuses. But nevertheless, it just simply goes to see when verse number 21 said God created great sea monsters. We haven't even in our modern times touched the very surface of that yet. But now let's continue anyway. So in verse number twenty-two, he said that God blessed them, saying, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the warden of the sea, and let the birds do the same." This is the first spoken blessing uh, that we have in the scriptures because of the procreational factor that's involved. In other words, notice when we see there is some form of multiplication by reproduction, by form of some some sexual out sexual act taking place notice that how animals reproduce and that's all I'm trying to say notice the blessing that God speaks concerning that kingdom so there is a blessing that God is relating to the animal kingdom with respect to reproduction and that so that they would as he simply says in his command of the blessing Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the domain that God has given to them. If you fish, your domain would be the waters. If the birds, your domain would be the air. So just simply reproduce in great massive and continual numbers. And this blessing that God had spoken at this particular time continues even unto this day. And so we see a continuation of reproduction. You don't just have baby one time and it's out. It is a continuation of these things on and on through every successive generation. Okay. All right. And then he concludes with the fifth day in verse number 23 with evening and the morning. Now let's move to the sixth day. And this is the great day, the greatest day of them all. Verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth also after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now let's hit a pause there. Let's talk about that because really we're almost at the, at the apex of God's creation, but we're in the sixth day and notice as God has now previously filled the seas and the sky. Now we are left with God's filling with the land, as we can, when we look back in the book of Genesis, remember, you had the daylight come, then you had the separation come of the waters from the waters, and what did God do? He filled both waters, waters below and the waters above. The waters above with the birds, the waters below with the fish. Then he caused the dry land to appear, and so notice what we're seeing now. That land that God caused to appear, now he's beginning by his word, to feel that dry land. Okay. And so this is basically what's going on in the sixth day and he's filling it with all manner of living creatures. And so verse number 24 says that all of those, and when it says all manner living, that means everything that moves on the face of the ground, both the cattle and all kinds of creepy crawly things, including insects, but everything on the earth, After a once again, remember that word we call men idea a base class of a species from which other species may be derived. That's the idea. And so, verse 25 God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind. And basically, what we're just simply seeing is this the the idea of beasts and the cattle animals that were intended intended to be domesticated and animals that were not intended to be domesticated so basically we see a separation in those two types of animals under man now what you have to understand is even though there is there is clear in verse 25 the the cattle which that's the reference to the domesticated animal the beasts reference to non-domesticated animals. Even though both were separated to the which that man would domesticate one kind, the beast of the earth would still not be violent towards man. Now, I may be getting a little ahead of myself, and I am, I am, I am. However, later on, after we deal with the issue of the flood in Genesis chapter nine, we're going to see a relationship between man and animals change. And that relationship will be not, it's not between domesticated and non domesticated animals. That relationship will be that there will be a fear of man that will be placed upon animals and so that natural regard and that's what we see happening here in verse number 25 is not being so much as stated but the assumption is clear the assumption is clear that the natural regard for mankind a sense of respect a sense of an innate an innate knowledge within the animal kingdom of who and what man is because later on even though man is not created we're going to deal with that later man is not created man will be created in the image of god and we're going to talk about that too and and the animals will have some sort of innate knowledge and understanding of their proper relationship to man and one of those things that will be intimated In Genesis 9 clearly will be the animal kingdom will have an what is what is the word that I'm trying to use an instinctive knowledge to respect man do not hurt or violate man or mankind that will be instinctive in these animals even though Once again, one class of animals will be for domesticated use and another will be wild. But the thing that I'm trying to get you guys to see here is the wild animal, as we know it, this is not what was made in the beginning. Okay. The wild animal kingdom where where animals say, for instance, a lion would see a man and kill a man, possibly eat a man. That did not happen. That particular relationship between man and the wild beast animals didn't take place until after the flood, which were hundreds of years later. OK, but in the beginning, this was not so. There was a certain tameness that all animals, regardless to what the animal was, with respect to man was and innate respect for mankind never to harm him. But anyway, let's continue. And so this is what he's talking about in verse number 25, when he deals with those creeping things upon the earth, all these things that God made. And we see the division between the the cattle domesticated and the beast of the earth. And God saw that all these things that he made was good. So now we get to verse number 26, a difficult verse, but we will try to unravel it a little bit and we don't want to do uh, too much of an exegesis on this verse, but we do want to look at some of the intricacies of this verse. But as we get into verse number 26, here is the reasoning for God's renovation of the world all the way from verse number three. Remember in verse number three, we started, this is the recreation of the universe that was destroyed by God. It was Satan's universe to which he ruled. He lost dominion. Starting at verse number three, we see of Genesis one. Of course, we see what God renovating that universe. That is, that was now Tohu and Bohu formless and void that universe and remember, God's concentration of all things is the earth, that universe being reconstructed in the giving of the light, the separation of the waters and all of these things. Fish of the sea, birth of the earth. Why is God doing all of this for preparation of verse number 26? That is the creation of the man. And so what do we get to? Verse number 26 then god said let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth then god said let us make man in our image so the first thing we see is that God now determines to make man in his image. Now, what is, here is the thing. Here is the thing. In verse number 26, this is the actual text of it when it says, and God says, let us make man. It says, Adam, Adam. Okay. Now, the definite article of Adam and Adam would be, this will be Adam, the, the, the Hebrew word Adam simply means it's the word for man. It'll later on become the proper name that we'll begin to simply say what Adam. Okay. Now, what we do see missing here is the definite article. Let us make the man in front of Adam, Ha Adam, which seems to, to suggest that it's not a reference to adam in particular let us make the man but at the same time here is the thing that i want you to see the usage of it is in the singular let us make man is the reference to let us make mankind in our image or is that particular reference to the man specifically and i do believe that the reference is not so much, not so much as to mankind in as a whole humankind. So let us make humankind in our image. And that's at the same time. And I don't think it's, oh man, it's almost confusing in a sense. Let us make Adam in our image. I think that's a, that's really the strength of it. But let me, let me just go ahead and same, because I think I'm babble, babbling. Is he saying, let us make mankind in our image? or let us make men. I think he's using the singular for a reason. Yes, I think there is an intimation. There is an intimation. In other words, there is a certain assumption of all that that has to do with the man, which would be Adam. He has that in mind. He has that in mind. But with respect to the text, if we looked at the text Alone, he's saying, "Let us make man in the singular." Now, why am I making a big deal out of this? When you go to the book of First Corinthians and look in chapter eleven, the Apostle Paul, in talking about spiritual order of worship in the church, Paul speaks of the differences or the distinctions between the man, gender, man, and the woman, gender, women okay and paul says very clearly that the man was made in the glory of god in the image and glory of god he said but the woman was made in the glory of the man so and notice and where's the whole point when we get into genesis chapter the woman in genesis 1 and 26 The woman is not being created at this time. That's what I'm trying to say. These are basically, this is basically a summary statement of what God is doing as a whole. The summary of his creation of both the man and the woman. But in Genesis 1 and 26, the woman is not being created. It's just a summary. We see how the woman is created. Just keep reading. Just keep reading. Later on, when we get to Genesis chapter two, and then that's when, when he opens up what he did in one and 26. So when you get to chapter two, when the Bible talks about how God created the man in his image and notice later on, the man would be put to sleep and the woman will be taken from the side of the man. But in verse number 26, it's not saying that here. So the point that I'm trying to tell you is verse number 26, for the most part, is basically a summary, a summarization of the creation of both the man and the woman. But specifically, specifically, when we look at 26, let us make man in our image. Okay, even though all of it is a summary, but that part of it specifically has to point to the man alone and this is what the apostle paul brings out for us in 1 corinthians 11 when he says that it was the man who was created in the image of god you got it now what am i trying to say now we're not saying that women are not created in the image of god women have a derived glory Women have this glory derived. Why do I say derived? Because it comes from the man. The glory of God that the woman has does not come in the direct sense from God. It comes from the man. That's once again why the apostle Paul said the man was the glory of God and the woman is the glory of man why because she was taken from the man so therefore the woman's glory is a derived glory okay all right so hope you hope you guys don't have a fit over that too much and if you do too bad that's the way it works but anyway so he says that let us make man in our image now you see where we're going with that that Adam it's, 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 it has a collectiveness to it but it particularly points to adam made in the image of god and according to our likeness and so here is the here is the thousand dollar question i've heard this several times what does it mean that man is made in the image of god is not so much as talking about in that salem and and demuthna is not so much talking about his outward appearance As far as the image of God is concerned, why? Because God himself is what spirit. God does not. God can take, of course, as the all powerful one, he can take a physical form. But God's natural form is a spirit being. So what does it mean when it talks about the image and likeness of God? And I believe it is the remainder of that statement that clarifies, that clarifies, or should I even say, it qualifies image and likeness. What do you mean? Notice what the remainder says. Let them rule. That is the idea of let them have dominion. Let them rule over what? Remember, when God made the waters, he made the fish of the sea. When God separated the air above, he made what? The birds of the air. And when God made the dry land, what did he make? He made the cattle and all of the creeping things of the earth. See how he did it? So everything to which God had made, he now gives man dominion over. Rule or authority over all of those creatures that he made. And now, since I talked about the whole issue of derivation of things that are derived, talking about the glory of the woman being derived from the glory of the man, let's talk about authority here. Notice. The reason why we, and, 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 and I've heard certain biological expressions are called the apex of all of creatures. We are the dominant species on this planet. That's the reason why we are the dominant species of this planet. We note in it is amazing concepts. We may not be the strongest. And you got lions that are far stronger than we are. We may not be the fastest cheetahs. A a horse is faster than we are. But notice we yet dominate rule. And even if we are weaker and even if it's not even a place where we ourselves have our life expression. And when I say life expression, we primarily live on the land. That's basically where we live at. Right. But guess what we can do? We can dominate the seas and we are not sea creatures, but we can exert authority and power over the sea. We exert authority and power over the air, exert authority and power over the land. Why? Because God said in his word, let him rule. So therefore our domain is all of the earth. Our rule is, do- is and this rule, because I'm talking about the idea of being derived, is given by God. The reason why we have the authority and the power and the dominion that we have is because it is given by God. And when something is derived, that means there is an authority that is above us. If our authority is derived, that is given by God, there is a power that is above us. God himself, which means we owe. And that's the point that I'm trying to, and I don't want to get into the preaching, but that is the point that I'm trying to make. Since man's dominion and his authority is given by God, man himself should be subject to the one who gave him power. Okay, that's enough of that. So it says in verse number 27, summarization. What did I say? Summarization. God created man in his own image and that singular thing he created man. And even so, remember what I said about Adam? That's the idea. Adam in his own image in the image of God cre- he created him and here's the thing that I want you to pause guys so that you can even see the language and that's what something and 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 Paul as an astute observer of course of the Hebrew language and the Hebrew Bible no doubt that caught his attention God created man singular in his own image in the image of God he created him and that is the singular two. It did not say he created them in his image, Mm-mm. him, him alone. OK, so that's why Paul made that statement in first Corinthians anyway. And then it says and here is where we can see the derivative of that uh, qualitative creation. And I hope I'm not saying stuff that confuse you guys. Male and female, he created them. Remember, again, these are summary statements. He's not getting into the intricacies, that's chapter two, of how they were created. This is just a summary statement. And, and, and it brings in that idea of that collectiveness and also that idea of being derived. Male and female. How did he create mankind? He created a male counterpart. I'm sorry, he created a male part And a female counterpart. That's all that's saying, okay? And the issue when you hear me keep talking about this derivative, that which the male has, the dominion and the authority over the earth, that is also derived from the male of the female. So women have the same rule and dominion over creation derived from us because they are of the male however the male was created in the image of God okay verse number 28 so God blessed them and God said to them notice notice did you notice now the plural God bless them bless them and he said to them what be fruitful very similar to what he said to the animal kingdom, but I'm going to read the verse. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth. You know what? Let me stop there. Let me back up a little bit. So now here we have the first blessing and here's where we have the first covenant okay so here's where we have the the adamite the adamite the adamic the adamic covenant the first covenant with adam adamic covenant, in the blessing of god and notice what we talked about earlier about the blessing that god gave to the animal creation, remember the fish of the sea and the and and, and the uh, animals that creeps upon the earth, and God blessed them and said, "Be fruitful and multiply." We have the annunciation or the proclamation, should I say, of that same blessing, and now in particular to mankind, the same blessing to be fruitful, to have babies, and okay, okay. OK, let, let me do a little stop here, guys. Let me do a little stop here. And I say this for the mature saints who are listening, mature in age, especially. Here is where that desire that be fruitful and multiply. This is that f- fundamental sexual urge. Of For procreation that we have. Or in other words, let me just simply say it in a more simplistic way. That desire. (coughs) For sex. This is where it comes from. This is where it comes from. But the bottom line is. It was intended to be regulated. It was intended to be regulated by divine law or that which would be permissible by God. In other words, okay, okay. Sexuality, sexuality and the desire to do these things is a blessing from God himself. It is placed inside of us by God himself in and through this particular blessing. There's nothing wrong with the desire. It is a blessing from God that God himself has bestowed upon his creation. That is us, the higher forms of creation, the animals, the fish, and us more than anything. Okay, but it's done so it should be regulated. That's why, and that's why when I say regulated, you don't go out with this person, that person, this person, and that person, and you just simply fulfill those you satisfy those sexual desires it should be regulated and the regulation that god himself will implant will be that of marriage so the be fruitful and multiply blessing will really be implemented in the bounds or constrained under marriage you got it okay but anyway Enough of that. Fruitful to multiply. And what did he want us to do? Fill the whole earth. The earth is real big planet and subdue it. And let me take a time to pause there to subdue it. Subdue it. Remember, and I don't want to get into all of that. But in the creation of the earth, God made the earth full of goodies. Let me, can I say it that way, guys? Goodies. That means he made the earth full of gold, silver, diamonds, rubies, whatever, (laughs) and whatever. Oil, O-I-L, oil and everything. What did he say? As man is given the authority over the whole earth, notice what God commanded him to do as a part of his blessings, to subdue it. So the entirety of the earth, there is nothing wrong with taking the oil from the earth. There is nothing wrong with taking the diamonds and the jewels from the earth. There is nothing wrong with taking and using all of earth's resources. The plants, the animals, And everything, there's nothing wrong with it. As a matter of fact, it's a part of exercising our blessings. All that God would have us to do is to be just stewards over these things, to be wise stewards and conservators and protectors over these things, but not to the sense that we don't want to use it or we don't want to violate it. The command that we see in verse number, what is it? 28 says to subdue it. And so let us remember that it's fine to be conservationists and all of these things, but we don't ever want to go overboard and become tree huggers and, and protect this and protect that. And don't use these things because the command that God gives us is subdue it okay all right so i hope i kind of talked to some of us lovers of the earth that's not the command of god the command of god subdue it not destroy it but be wise conservators of the earth all right rule over the fish of the sea the birds of the skies. so all of that stuff so now let's get to verse number 29. then god said behold i've given you every plant Yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. So, let me and I want to stop there. Let me just talk about that particular verse. So, God now says to mankind, the first thing that I want you to see is man was originally a vegetarian, there was no meat, there was no killing of the animal kingdom whatsoever there was no death that's the whole point that should be that's the whole point because remember now death comes when adam sinned. so god originally gave us all of the fruit trees all your pecans peaches plums and all of that and the greens and everything that comes forth from the ground so all the fruits of the trees and The vegetation on the earth that we could eat. That was supposed to sustain the diet for mankind. And one of the reasons why I did make a break there, because now notice let's get into verse number 30 and you'll see it. And to every beast of the earth, now we're talking about the animals. They're talking about the animal kingdom. And to and and the and to every bird of the sky, beast bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth to which has life so now to the rest of the animals notice their diet that God gives them I have given every green plant for food and it was so so it seems it seems and I would go on a limb and say there's a clear distinction notice they are given the vegetation They were not given the fruits of the trees. Notice he simply said to I've given every green plant, but to the man, go back up to verse number 29. He said every green tree and the the, the tree and the plant. So all of the plants and the trees, but to the animals, all of the animals, all the rest of them, He only has given the green plant, not the fruit trees. It seems to be there as a distinction. But now let's finish it. God saw, so now God is preparing to look back on all that he has done in those six days of creation. And here's where we have a summarization of all of God's creative work that he has done over the past six days. God saw all that he had made and behold it was very good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day so the sixth day is completed with the apex of his creation that is mankind and God looking back to not summarize to judge in a sense to say hmm I did a good job in all of this, didn't I? Of course he did. He's God. What else can he do? All right. So God looked back at the very end of all that he had done. And the summarization of all things was very simply. It was good. Now let's look at verses number two, uh, one through three, because this will basically complete. um, uh, uh, Okay. Let me do a break right here. You can look. At Genesis 1 and 1 all the way up to Genesis 2 and verse number 3 all of this can be viewed as an a prologue of sort you got it a prologue uh, as an introduction in a sense as we look at the creation summarized as a whole Genesis 1 and 1 to 2 and 3 but now that even within itself that prologue that I just told you about can be subdivided into Genesis one and one that's verse number one by itself okay as the perfect ordered creation we don't know when in the past that happened. we have no idea but that was the perfect creation in the beginning and we can subdivide that with looking at verses number two and, and verse number two, it, it also is a lack of separation. It is an explanation that that universe, not destroyed, but that universe became undone, and it was undone through the judgment of God. And we explained all of that in our previous discussions on Genesis one and two. Satan's kingdom, it was destroyed. Okay. And that left the universe as what? Tohu and bohu. Formless and void. And that's what we see in verse number two. And as we continue, notice verse number one, verse number two, we're still breaking up that whole section from one and one to two and three. And then we get to verse number three and God, allow me to use this language, re-enters or renovates. He begins to renovate that universe that was previously destroyed again. He renovates that universe by bringing light as he prepares for the renovation of that universe, moving the waters on the next day and separating uh, 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 the dry land and the earth, and he causes vegetation to appear. And then he said, he reorders once again, he reestablishes, recreates the stars in the sky once again and then he begins to populate that new world with life again and and that's what we see with the continuation of verses three all the way to the end of chapter one you got it and now we get into we get into genesis chapter two and we finish we summarize so he said let's stand back and take a look at what happened And that's why we are at Genesis 2 and verse number 1. So let's read it. Thus the heavens, so thus, when we look at all things that God had done, the heavens and the earth were completed. And again, heavens and the earth is that mirrorism, the idea of all of God's creative work from, from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. 1 and 2, beginning there, that recreation part. They were completed and all their hosts, Two, by the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done because we know we had already talked about what? Those six days of God's laboring, working. So by the seventh day, he completed his work and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Three, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. So now let's talk about the seventh day, the final day of creation, because we're looking at all of this activity as a complete seven day period with the seventh day being a time of secession, of stop working. So since God had completed all of his work with man being Remember, the reason why we see God doing all of these things and all of that being finished on the sixth day on the seventh day. I'm back at verse number two as we're analyzing it. What did he do? God rested on the seventh day. Now, one thing that you have to let me just simply say it this way, guys, a couple of points on it. Everything that God did over the period of those six days, he could have did it in an instance of time he could have said it blue and it would have all been done just like that okay but for god's own purposes and for instruction to us to us as god is working in his own time god is working how in his own time and he's doing that didactively which literally means to teach by working in these six days In this time frame he is also teaching us something and the idea is he's teaching us to look forward to a time of rest nowhere in Genesis 2 and 3 okay 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 God even though he ceased from all his work on the seventh day here's the point that I'm trying to make from Adam all the way up to moses there is no evidence whatsoever where they themselves acknowledge the seventh day there is no evidence biblical evidence whatsoever where god come there's nowhere in the scripture god commanded them to acknowledge to observe to worship to do anything on the seventh day so all of the days as we see from the evidence that we have of scripture, were basically alike. They were basically alike. Or in other words, as it is this day. And this is how it works for us after the law of Moses, because that's where we are now under the law of Christ. We are no longer commanded. First of all, the Gentiles were never commanded to acknowledge the Sabbath day. Only the Jews were acknowledged to were commanded to acknowledge the Sabbath day. Okay, so the issue of the seventh day or a Sabbath day or whatever was never given for the Christian church. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. As it is now for the Christian Church, there is no observation of any particular day. If you want to acknowledge the day, that's up to you. You acknowledge the day. He who acknowledges the day, unto the Lord he acknowledges the day. He who does not acknowledge the day, it is unto the Lord he does not acknowledge the day. That same idea we can see even now in the first dispensation, and that's for another teaching. But the whole point is, there was no acknowledgment of the seventh day. Although God rested on the seventh day, he never commanded Adam acknowledge the seventh day, nor any of his children all the way up unto Moses. So for over 1,400 years, no one ever worshiped, observed, or acknowledged the Sabbath day, and neither was it commanded. It was not commanded until Moses gave the law. All right, guys. (sighs) Thanks for joining me on that teaching. Next time we come, we will talk about uh, uh, in detail the creation of Adam. Catch you next time.